Hi everyone, I'm Laura Warnod, and this is the Wonder Workers podcast. Wonder Workers is an interview-based podcast where I invite change makers to talk about their experience, their mission, and drive towards impacting the world, and ultimately to inspire, educate, and empower entrepreneurs, business leaders, and owners, and young people on how they can build together a more sustainable world. This community of wonder workers act behind the scenes to lead the world towards a new era of purpose, self-actualization, and innovation. This is a generation who shows no limits to what they can accomplish, no tolerance for dehumanization, and use their uniqueness as a real power to change the world. We want to invite you, responsible leaders, entrepreneurs, young people, and all other listeners in your quest for purpose to give you too the power to change the world. But having powers alone does not make us superheroes. Even them need allies. It's only when we accept our differences, combine our powers, belong and thrive together that our forces can turn into superpowers. We are Wonder Workers, a community of change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, and aspiring ones who use their superpowers collectively to change the world. So tell me, what are your superpowers? In today's episode of Wonder Workers, I'm with Lydia Bolton. Oh my God, she's literally the loveliest person on earth. I've been reading and hearing about her for such a long time. And you know how impressed I am by these female founders who work hard to achieve their vision and follow their purpose and become just successful in their own way and still stay so humble in the face of all the experiences and successes that she now has. Plus, she also has a super cute brand and I've been really dreaming to get my hand on one of her pieces, but Lydia's design is becoming more and more popular. So if you want to have a look, you should definitely check her Instagram and website. But for now, let me tell you a little bit more about her. Lydia Bolton is repurposing all fabrics into playful, coveted, and wearable luxury garments and changing the face of sustainable fashion. Lydia Bolton is a sustainability creator and slow fashion designer who founded her namesake brand in 2019. An anti-landfill advocate, she meticulously works with sleeping stock, dead stock fabrics, and thrifted pieces to create luxury women's wear apparel and homeware that doesn't cost the earth. Signature Lydia Bolton pieces often include colorful patchworks, playful gigams, and cuter than cute colors and bows. Items can range from summer cohorts to blouses and sweater vests, all released in small, infrequent capsule collections inspired by retro silhouettes and the materials that she works with. Lydia's eclectic designs have become a firm favorite within her conscious community who like to express themselves through style. They have also been picked up by publications like British Vogue, The Face and Refinery 21, while Lydia has been consistently touted as one to watch by trend forecasters, including WGSN. With her collection consciously small, Lydia has turned her attention to helping brands reach their sustainability goals, finding new ways to fight fashion waste, reduce landfill, and retain relevancy with the younger, eco-minded Gen Z consumer. Over the past year, Lydia has been hosting upcycling workshops with her community to empower more people with the skills to tackle landfills themselves. Lydia shows how, with skills and creativity, we can extend the lifetime of each garment so it becomes a treasured wardrobe staple for your 
years to come. In 2022, she fronted a series of workshops for Nike's flagship UK store, where she taught members how to turn defective stock into a unique piece. This sentiment is echoed across her social media, where she shares her tips and techniques for more eco-living, gathering a following of nearly 20k followers. Well, let's jump in! Hi, Lydia. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for being here today and for accepting to be part of the Wonder Workers podcast. I'm really grateful to have you here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So before we start talking about your brand and all the wonderful things that uh, you do. I mean, right now I feel like I'm seeing you everywhere, <laughs> literally. And I've been following your work and everything that you do for a while and also been going on your website to try and get some of your pieces, but it seems like it's uh, very popular. So I feel like I need to be like looking more often to manage to get one of your <laughs> your creation. But yeah, what you're doing is amazing. And I always start my episodes with the same question to everyone, I guess, is to tell you more about who you are, your story, who is Lydia Bolton, introduce you to the world or to listeners however you want to be introduced. Yeah, so I'm Lydia. I am a slow fashion designer and sustainability advocate. I've had my upcycling brand for about four years. I always wanted to be a fashion designer since I was little and always like loved everything to do with art, creativity, making things, design. So yeah, always wanted to work in like the creative industry, but particularly fashion. And then went on to study fashion at university, worked for a couple of years as a design assistant, and then kind of had this realization that I really wanted my career to reflect my personal values of trying to live sustainably in like in a more eco-conscious way, which led me to leave my job and start my brand. Amazing. Okay. So what, what do you mean by aligning your personal values to your work? Wasn't it the case already? What does that mean really? Yeah. So it's funny when I say it out loud and kind of when I realized that I didn't make any connection between my personal values of being brought up in quite an eco-conscious household my mum is an absolute eco-warrior she like recycles well when I say recycles I mean more reuses it's not necessarily just that she puts you know sorts the recycling bins she kind of reuses as much as she possibly can very little is wasted she like turns one thing into another thing and my grandparents kind of were like that as well so it's been brought up in this like quite eco-conscious and aware household with a real emphasis on valuing the things we had and kind of reusing them not just like having a disposable nature towards things and I then really wanted to live in these values as well so kind of didn't shop fast fashion shopped secondhand as much as I could I was always conscious about things that I was buying and the waste that I was producing but alongside this really wanted to be a fashion designer and work in fashion and the work that I mean my designs just had nothing to do with like sustainability they weren't necessarily unsustainable as a teenager I was very like Alexander McQueen influenced as I think a lot of teenagers who grew up when I did were and was really into like kind of more over the top things and stuff like that so then it was just like thinking as my career like began and I worked at a contemporary fashion brand so it wasn't fast fashion or anything like that but it was like contemporary women's wear and it was a really fun place to work but I just thought hmm this doesn't necessarily fit with like my personal values of not shopping you know fast fashion like shopping kind of like slow fashion and secondhand and then I heard this quote which was as a designer you have a responsibility to produce things that like benefit the planet and then 
I added on my own section to that was I also have the ability because yeah of course you have a responsibility to you know be more sustainable we all do in the climate that we're living in but I also actually have like the ability to produce things which are more positive yeah that's so true I mean I think that's really powerful because obviously like the topic of sustainability is such an important topic right now and I think we need to be talking more about it to be educating ourselves around it but it's true that sometimes even if you have you know the responsibility and you kind of learn and you educate yourself it's very different than actually having the tools or resources or the ability, as you said, to actually make that happen because it's not easy yet, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I knew I had the skills of being a designer and a maker so I could easily see how I could use my skills to create a brand which specifically targeted textile waste and reusing and, yeah, recreating unwanted materials. So what was your the, the process in terms of like, because you, you have a like a background in education in design, but then did you learn about sustainability at uni or did you learn after that by yourself from scratch? Yeah, by myself. There was actually not really any talk of sustainability when I was at university. It was still kind of like the mindset that like sustainable clothing is like a brown hemp dress kind of vibe like not very fashion not very fun so that was my perception of sustainable fashion other than like secondhand so no I didn't learn about it at all at university and I just kind of knew about it in like my personal learnings of like how bad fast fashion was and how like unethically um, the people that make the clothes are treated and everything like that. So I decided to quit my job and then I did an online course at the Centre of Sustainable Fashion where I learned in depth about all the different issues within fashion and all the areas from textile waste, mm. materials to ethical labour to fabrics and everything like that. Amazing. And that's when you started to build your brand then I guess yeah exactly so from this online course you, you build to manifesto and I went when I was learning about all the issues the main issue that I was really drawn to was the vast amount of garment and textile waste and then so I kind of created this little manifesto from this course just like was kind of like the homework I guess and then I just started my brand from making this manifesto from this course so tell us a little bit more about y your brand now because it's your eponym brand right it's it's Lydia is your brand, right? Yes, so my brand is named after myself, Lydia Bolton. And I really struggle not to say, oh, it's just my name. And I feel like, <laughs> no, that's so reductive to say my brand is just my name. So yeah, it's my name, um, Lydia Bolton. And my brand kind of has like different facets. So I have my product side where I remake secondhand and unwanted textiles and then turn them into products that people can buy. And then I have an educational side of my brand where I do workshops and teach people how to patchwork, upcycle and uplift existing items in their clothing. And these workshops might be for brands or they might be for like my own audience or anyone really who wants to learn how to get involved with upcycling and just like share and spread the message of why we need to value the materials that we already have and like how we can try and live a bit more sustainably. That's amazing. And so is it made to order or do you make limited quantity of pieces, personalized one as well, because I guess you don't make huge stock of the same piece, right? So how, how does that work? How does the process work if 
people want to actually buy from your brand? Yeah, they are very limited in number. So I do a mix of pre-made and made to order. The nature of it, of the more being secondhand or unwanted textiles, is that there's normally only one or two of each. So then I need to make some so I can like show what the product will look like and like take some photos of it and, you know, get everyone interested. But then I try and keep some fabrics unmade so then I can do made to order and then be more flexible on sizing and people can order and like have it slightly adjusted if they want it longer or shorter or depending on what their preferences are. So yeah, it's a mix of pre-made and made to order. That's amazing. It's It sounds like you've basically done everything by yourself. Like you're teaching yourself everything and building everything yourself, right? You don't necessarily have a team yet, I think. Yeah, no, I so I have my amazing agent and she helps on all brand projects as well as helping me with like socials and it's just like generally like consults on basically all areas of the brand um so she's amazing at the moment she's the main person that I work with and then pretty much everything else is done by me which I mean I think probably needs to change soon because again I'm getting slightly bottlenecked but yeah no predominantly do everything myself wow and so I guess from that, because I, I see it also on my end, uh, you know, being a solo entrepreneur and being at the very beginning of my journey. So I need to kind of build everything from scratch, learn everything from scratch as well, because I think something that we don't necessarily see or think about when we start that journey is that behind the main thing that we want to do. So for you, it's like um, designing clothes. For me, it's doing culture transformation work with startups but behind that <laughs> there's a whole world of other things that you need to do so that your business is running or that your brand is actually working so you have to learn everything from scratch so I guess what was your experience with that and also with like being I guess a solo female entrepreneur that has to figure everything out by herself yeah it was, it was definitely a challenge and as I said I always wanted to work in fashion and had very much come from like the creative background of loving like design and making and all of that sort of side so the creative side I've never really struggled with that's what I like really really enjoy the hard side for me was like sales and marketing and the actual runnings of a business and that was way more tricky and way more like I had no idea how to do it at all no idea how like really to like properly understand who's my customer and I came you know from the point of view that I just wanted to make things that I liked and like design in that way but actually that's not really well firstly that's not actually that sustainable because if you make products that people don't buy them that's not you know number one of what's the point of having a sustainable brand and no one buys what you make no point so actually over the the first year I didn't really understand this and then in the second year it was locked down so I then had to start doing everything just from my spare room that I was living in so then I kind of had to make products which people needed and I could only make products just on like my bedroom floor and I could see like all my friends kind of buying these like you know like paint by number kits and just things that they would never normally have bought like everyone was getting into crafts so then I saw okay I can make DIY kits and people can people can upcycle things at home from like little kits where I provide everything they need and I think that was my first point where I like really understood designing and making products for a need and then that then led me to like properly understand okay yes people will then buy it because it's something they need and want as opposed to it just being something that I've decided is good to put out there so yeah understanding my customer and sales and marketing was a big big learning curve yeah I mean I can definitely relate to that because I've been having the same issue of like trying to understand the whole world of 
marketing and sales uh, and as you said it's it can be quite quite a challenge but yeah i think you literally started by doing the most like the simplest thing is trying to talk to the people around you like your friends and family and understanding what what they would need and then from that expanding your offer yeah exactly exactly and I think they say your customers need to know like and trust you and that's often why it's your friends and family that do buy from you first because they obviously know like and trust you so that's a very easy way to start and then you can kind of think okay I mean if my friends have bought it then their friends might buy it and slowly grow out from there yeah definitely I also read somewhere online that at the very beginning when you were building your brand I think during the first year or the second year you were actually also working in a pub at night uh, while trying to build everything from scratch how did you deal with that I mean I'm personally very impressed by people like you who managed to have like two jobs and especially one that is quite tiring which is working in a pub at night right so yeah how was your experience with that it was a lot so when I I started working at the pub when I left university and I had to like as most jobs in creative industries had to intern unpaid for a year obviously couldn't afford to live in London without earning an income so then worked in the pub basically the summer after uni started working in the pub and interning for free and did that for a whole year before I got a paid job so I was just, yeah, used to working all daytimes and all night times. And it was a late night pub. We'd finish work at 2.30. Luckily, I live around the corner. So I'd be in bed by three and then up by seven to start my day working for free to hopefully get a paid job by the end of it. So actually, that's why quitting my paid job was quite a big moment for me. So I was like, I've literally worked for a year for free to try and get a paid job. And now I'm like, actually... No, I'm going to go back to working in the pub to find out what I really want to do. Um, so I did feel like, wow, I've only just got to this paid role. I did a paid role for about two years. So I had two years not in the pub. And then, yeah, I went back to the pub. So working six till 2.30 all night and then up um, to the studio by like eight or nine to do work for myself in the daytime and then back to the pub in the evening. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. I was just exhausted the entire time I didn't really stop being tired like the pandemic was the first time I think I stopped being tired for like years yeah I can imagine I mean that's so impressive and what was the thing that kept you going I guess in that time like you you could have told yourself you know why am I doing that why am I not going back to like a normal full-time job and just choose safety I guess like what kept you going I don't really know that's interesting yeah I, I I think I just well I wanted to give myself at least a year to try it to try my own brand um, and see how it went and I guess in my first year did a collaboration with Nietzsche remaking their dead stock clothing um, so I think like a, a, not necessarily in the first year loads of things happened but enough happened to give me the confidence to keep doing it and then the second year of my brand was the pandemic and then I got put on furlough and being furloughed from the pub was like the best thing that happened to me. And actually, I was so pleased that I had done all those years of like rubbish working in the pub and having a like when I say full time job for myself, like I work for myself full time every day. I was so pleased that I did that because then I was put on furlough. Whereas if I hadn't worked in the pub or if I'd worked in the pub, I don't know, part time, I would have got way less furlough. So actually... It was really good that I had stuck it out for so long working like I don't even want to I don't even know how many hours a day I used to work. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really uh, inspiring. And so how do we actually go from 
hustling, working in a pub at night, trying to build your own brand to working with big companies like Nike? I think just to consistently keeping going with things. I mean, I even did a very small thing with Nike in my first year of my brand. And it was at a singer's launch party, at Jay Gray's launch party. She wanted to have people doing sewing and upcycling. So I was there and people brought their Nike clothing and then I turned it into kit bags, like live sewing at the event. So I did do a little project, very, very small project with Nike in that first first year of my brand and I think it was just you know sharing what I was doing on social media and people seeing it and and the few connections that I did have like giving me opportunities like my first big brand collaboration which was Nietzsche remaking their defected stock yeah and then it just grew out from there and I did also just kind of saying yes to all opportunities so I did two custom football shirts for a charity raffle and I did one shirt which was like Adidas and Tottenham Spurs and then one shirt which was Nike and um Arsenal so it was kind of they were kind of like rival shirts although I might have mixed it up it might have been Adidas and anyway Adidas and Arsenal and Nike and Tottenham Spurs anyway it was like rival sports brands and rival football teams and I made these patchwork custom shirts and they took me so long but I was making them for free because it was for a charity raffle but each shirt took me about two days to make and I was just thinking to myself like I really have to stop putting, like, I've just spent almost a week making free items. And I was really pleased because they're going for a raffle, blah, blah. And they look really good, but it was a lot of work on my side. And I thought, why didn't I just do one? Why did I need to do two? But then two years later, I then do workshops with Nike remaking football jerseys. And I presume it came from them having seen these football jerseys that I'd made a few years before. So I just think when you're starting up, it is really good to say yes to everything, even if it is not paid and you're kind of a bit like, oh this is a lot of work for no money like things just pay off in the long run like you you can't predict how everything will really work out for you yeah that's really interesting that you're saying that because I feel like the more I'm talking to people like entrepreneurs or founders or business owners they all have a different view on that so some people are saying oh you need to say yes to everything because every opportunity that you don't take is an opportunity that an opportunity that is missed right and others are like you need to be strategic. You need to like really think about what you actually want to do because you're building a personal brand and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I find I find it interesting that you're more on the side of saying yes. Very well, much. I think it's the um, saying yes for things that, that like align with your values. So I wanted to make these tops for this charity raffle because it was like a nice way for me to help make something that would help raise money for charity they were quite flexible on what it could be like I could use kind of like my creativity of the patchworking of the the jerseys and make something that I was also proud of so I think it is I say yes for everything that I think aligns kind of with my values or if I can do it in a way that aligns with my values but no I know what you mean it is tricky but there's clear no's that I don't do when it doesn't make sense for me. But yeah, at the beginning, I just yeah did say yes to everything that I thought I could do a good job of and would help grow my brand and or, or, and just grow my experience and my connections with people. Mm, yeah, no, that that definitely makes sense. I mean, from what I've seen also online about you and your work, it seems like you know, you have very, very strong values in everything that you do in your business. And I mean, we can definitely see that because... It's not like you've been growing your brand like super fast and kind of 
looking for investors to invest in your in your brand or whatever. You actually took the decision to kind of focus on what matters to you and what's aligned with sustainability and 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 everything. So yeah, so I'm also wondering like how do we manage the staying aligned with your your values, but at the same time trying to build a brand that makes revenue because I think that's also like I'm in a entrepreneur program right now called NEF and they teach us to have that mindset of thinking how do you make a choice when it comes to that because sometimes you are in that complex situation where you have very strong values and you want to make a difference and you want to make the right thing but then you're also building a business and you need to make revenue so how how do you manage that yeah totally and I mean it is super important for me to make money to live in London and to pay for my studio and I'm like obviously purpose-led but also like financially want to make money as well and I think like you mentioned like my brand I think has grown relatively slowly it's not like I just suddenly exploded and I think that is because I've kind of like from the product side really I mean well in all areas of the brand but in terms of just selling of the products it's all remade from secondhand and unwanted textiles so then there only is ever one shirt to sell so you put all of the work in and then you have one sale and funnily I have a site story which really relates to this I found this tablecloth which had fruits on it it was like fruity and gingham and I made this shirt and it was a couple of years ago people went wild for it they loved it everyone really wanted this shirt and they only had one shirt to sell and I was getting so many messages about it and I thought maybe I could copy the print and then print like organic cotton and make more jackets like this because I absolutely know I can sell way more jackets than just one like so many people want it and then I just was like yeah but that is just not aligned that I like I, I could do that and that would be really a really good way for me to make more money but my brand is focused on reusing unwanted textiles and if I now just because I know I could sell way more of something slightly compromise my values just for more sales that just like is a slippery slope and then so I just didn't and I just made one jacket and sold it and that was that so yeah I think I do limit my growth in terms of sales because of there only being one and then the funny thing is this jacket then was copied by Cider, who then sold, had the ability to sell loads because they, and they literally replicated the print, replicated the entire thing. So then they were able to, <laughs> to then make money from it, which is so funny that it was something that I like. It wasn't a hard decision because I know what my values are, but it was a, a slightly annoying decision because I knew I could have made way more money. And then that was ripped off. So that was funny. Yeah. I mean, and the demand was here, right? Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. You could have made it and sold it without any issues. Yeah, I I could have. Yeah, I could have printed. Yeah, printed the cotton, and then I had another shirt recently with some oranges on, which again, like people went wild for. I had like hundreds, honestly, hundreds of messages all over the world from people from Sweden, from America. Obviously, lots of people in the UK, loads of people wanting to buy this free T-shirt. And again, it was like, there's only like one of these shirts. To, I think well, no, there were three in the end, but only one that went on the website. There's only three of these shirts and just kind of thinking, uh, how high can I price this shirt? <laughs> like, <laughs> this shirt, I mean, I put it like a tiny bit more than the other ones sell for just because I knew there was that demand. But it's just that balance of like staying with your mor like your morals and ethics rather than just being like, so many people want this shirt like how expensive could it sell for but I think actually um 
next time I will put it as a bidding system so then and then give like excess profits to charity because I think actually just it being the quickest person to get to the website isn't necessarily is it the fairest way I'm not sure I think it'd be interesting to try and sell something in like a different way mm, yeah that's that's very good so you you mean you would make the the t-shirts and then if there's extra demand you would then yeah I mean it doesn't happen it's not every single piece that this happens to but I can tell what people like and when I find the right certain sort of fabric normally has like some fruit on it it just has a certain look and then when I share it, it will get a really good reception and it's the pieces like that that happen it doesn't happen the whole time I feel like it happens every like six months or so like a certain piece people go like really wild for it but then there is only one so I think it's yeah thinking if there's a way that I can then sell but this then special piece slightly differently back on your original question definitely my growth has been slowed by like really staying true to only selling the one or two of each product but I think it's good because then I feel very rooted in my values and then I think people trust my brand and when I do partnerships with larger brands and things like that I think people know that I will be doing it in a way which is really true to my values, despite potentially my values not being exactly the same as the larger brand that I'm working with. Yeah, that makes sense. What was your reaction when Cider copied your design? I just find it funny. You can't do anything about these things. You can't like, cry over spilt milk. I think it's just like ironic because I literally thought to myself like ah I could replicate this and make way more money but I'm not I'm not going to because I want to obviously yeah be really honest I, I it's all in a way it's just like also being honest yourself like you know if you've decided you want to be a purpose-led brand and you're a purpose-driven creator you can't just change your mind what's it called I think is it ethical fading I've heard about it in a book before and it's like if you start ethical fading where's your line so it's just better yeah is that the it. same as like greenwashing or like ethic washing I don't know if it's quite the same as I think greenwashing is more when it's incorrect they're kind of making something look more sustainable than it is I think ethical fading it's like when your values become a bit blurry I think that's what it is I'm, I might be wrong in it but It's something to do with like slightly, you know, crossing your boundaries a bit and then not being 100% transparent with things and like slightly bending on, yeah, your values. I think it was in Simon Sinek's book, Infinite Game. Oh, or Finite yeah. Game. Infinite Game. I'm pretty sure I heard about, I'm pretty sure I heard about ethical fading. Mm, okay, in interesting. That. I actually bought the book and I started it and I never finished it. So we <laughs> missed that part. <laughs> But yeah, okay, interesting. Yeah, maybe I, I better get back at it. So you, just to go back, I guess, on your um, experience and your journey. So you've had your brand for, for your brand for like, what, two years, two years and a half now? Four years. I quit my job four years ago. Right. So I don't know if my brand's four years old. I guess technically it is, but first year I didn't know what I was doing. But <laughs> Right. Okay. Okay. So yeah, four years and you've been growing slowly. I mean, we can definitely see that, you know, on social media you're getting a lot of engagement and visibility and like a lot of even magazines talk about your work and that that's great so what's I guess what's the next step for your brand do you have like a vision of where you want it to go or do you still want to treat it as you know your your own thing your own brand and stay as like it is basically and kind of continue on that slow growth no I want I want it to grow as big as it can go really as big as it can go in a way that's like obviously staying true to the values but like maximum impact possible like my vision 
big visions is you know to have like a shop where we can have a real community and repair centers and proper workshops as well as selling products and create like a real like hub of sustainable like conscious people in London so I think it's just going as and like working with brands reducing their textile waste I think like the possibilities are huge there's so many things different ways and things that I can do um and yeah I want my friend to grow in all those ways but I don't mind about the slow growth because I think it has given me really good foundations and understanding of like my practice my customer how I can grow the different ways I can do things yeah yeah I mean I think your your brand has definitely a lot of potential and I absolutely love what you do and I think there's not so many people actually out there that are really building a business around it I mean I see a lot of people actually doing that as a side or so you know all those like kind of DIY thing that you see online but like someone who's actually trying to build a brand grow slowly because she wants to stay aligned with her values and like with sustainability mindset around it is I mean I don't see it everywhere yeah I think also because I have a background in fashion I think it's slightly different from just being like a DIY side hustle I yeah. think yeah I think like I've properly like learned the skills of design and have that real understanding which I think really helps me and I also think me doing the brand partnerships and workshops and that whole educational side and like content creation that side has also differentiates me and kind of makes me like slightly more elevated than compared to yeah someone who just upcycles clothing yeah no, of course. And are there things that, you know, you, you talked about, like the fact that you have a fashion degree, which has really like built the foundations for, for the work that you're doing today. Are there other things that really help you to build your brand? I think it kind of doing things that I'm not necessarily confident in, but just going for it a bit like teaching workshops. When I started, wasn't necessarily that confident in doing them, but now I really enjoy doing them. But it was just understanding that because my growth would always be slow from the selling of products because there is only ever one or two. And I didn't want my prices to be like £500, which maybe they should be, but that's just not necessarily the customer I want to target. I want to target someone who is, it's slightly more affordable and it's slightly really is the viable option from like a more fast fashion brand or a more high street brand. Like I want them to actually be able to buy something which is the sustainable version at their maybe slightly more, but similar-ish price point. I kind of knew I would have to do like differentiate my income streams and do other things to properly grow financially and that was then like thinking about how can I do my brand and like what services can I provide and then like workshops and teaching and partnering with brands and using their textiles and also this side has really helped build a community and that was something I didn't have think about when I started my brand but actually the workshops and the educational side is really good for like properly meeting people and like connecting with them and chatting and then everyone in my audience like meeting each other and then making friends so yeah I think the workshops has really helped build the community but that was also like doing something that I was really not very confident in and was a bit scared to do but I think yeah kind of always doing something that I'm 
you know, not that comfortable with has like helped me grow as well. Yeah, I think that's so important. Like you said, like, I think when you're kind of building a project or a business or a brand or whatever, some of the key things that I hear is that you need to get out of your comfort zone. You need to do the things that scare you. And it's exactly because they scare you that you need to do them. So I think that's that's really important to remind people that as entrepreneurs, you need to. For sure. I'm probably out my comfort zone at least once a month at least yeah still still constantly doing things I'm like oh why am I doing this <laughs> I really don't want to do this yeah as in just because I don't want to do it because of like that sense of like being scared but then I do it and it's fine and I, and I always have a good time then the next time I'm always less scared so it's just that first time of doing stuff where you're like oh feels like you're walking I don't know walking through mud but then the next time it's very easier yeah no I think that's uh that's so true and, and it's so important um to to say it as well it's not because you're passionate or that you're super skilled at what you're doing or that you're you know you're um super successful that you're not scared you know when you do something for the first time you're super passionate about sustainability and making fashion more accessible more um, ethical obviously to make that happen There is that part around education and kind of building the, that community around it. And even if you're super passionate to talk about it and you, you're super, I guess, experienced in that, you can be scared too. Yeah, I think probably based on my social media, I, I feel like it's people probably don't even have any idea how much I'm like always at my comfort zone. <laughs> I feel like people, like I'm always doing something new. In a way, I don't feel like a need to talk about it. I mean, now and again, I might say like I'm nervous, but in general I don't really feel the need to talk about it too much but like 90% of the times I'm doing new things I'm like so panicked before them but I'm like I have to do this <laughs> yeah no I think that's um that's super important because that shows another side as well of entrepreneurship and working for yourself um it's not always like all the shiny super happy successful things that we sometimes see on social media I mean there are loads of stuff that happen behind the scenes so so I guess if you had to give some I guess tips or advices to other young people who you know are maybe like very interested in fashion very interested in sustainability and really want to make a change and make a difference um, but they are a bit scared to do it or you know they they're not sure or what would you tell them well everything is always scary and like, like we were just saying like I am still like get scared and nervous about things I haven't done before but if I want to grow which I do I'm always going to feel like that so that's fine and if I'm not doing new things I'm not feeling that and then I'm not growing so actually now I kind of think it's more of a problem if I'm not feeling a bit anxious or scared of something because then that means there's no new challenges which is not good if I want to keep growing but for really for starting like a kind of like sustainable fashion brand I would say really pick an area of sustainability that you want to focus on so for me it's reusing unwanted textiles and that's like the core of my brand so again for decision making am I reusing defected stock am I reusing dead stock am I reusing secondhand or unwanted textiles that's my clear test of the values but also it makes it really easy for like everything because it's just centered around that And sustainability in fashion is a huge, huge topic. There's so many different areas and avenues that you could go down. And it's easy to want to do lots of different things at once. But just picking one area that you're going to specialize in and become the expert on 
and then grow out from there. I'm sure that's going to be very useful to many people listening. And if you had to give, I guess, three key things that you've learned about building a brand, building a business, what would you say? These are obviously going to be very personal to my brand. So for me, putting myself in the center of the brand has been really beneficial. And I know all brands are different and not lots of people don't necessarily do that. They're kind of like slightly more separated from their brand. But for me, I guess the brand is my name and the brand is also just so linked to kind of like my passions of being sustainable and like really my values and also kind of designing creativity. It made it really easy to put myself at the real center of the brand because the brand is so much about me. And then by being so myself centered of the brand, it then really allowed me to do things like collaborations with other larger retailers and brands because like I was the face. So with that, I think that's slightly easier than if it's like fully anonymous. And then also it kind of helped people get to know the brand because they were getting to know me. And then another thing that was easier was like creating content and socials because it's all me and it's just my views and like my perspective on things so that made everything a lot easier than trying to like make my brand look more elevated and make it look like a we when it wasn't so yeah having me centered at it was definitely for me a very good thing also community that's something that I didn't really think about when I started my brand but now it's like and I like I'm really really into this idea of community and how can you create like really build and nurture a community how can people in your community make friends and meet each other how all of these things because I think what really big brands do is they really care for their community and they do things so their community can get involved and engaged. And actually, that's something that I want to do, but I want to do it like in my versions from the start, because everyone in my community are going to be like get along with each other because they're similar values. They have you know similar purposes and interests. So it's all about connecting everyone. And yeah, that's like a core part of my brand now is really nurturing that. And I think probably just, yeah, going through being the fear <laughs> feels like a cliche thing to say, feel fear, but it is, everything's quite, yeah, nervous to start with, but then just going through it and then it always being fine. And then probably I will normally, everything I do, I normally do again. And then the next time I'm less scared and it's much better, but it is, if you're not doing things that are scary to you, then are you growing? Is my question mark. Yeah, that's a very good one. I always ask to ask my guests sometimes because like what you just said, you know, you, you need to kind of get out of your comfort zone and kind of face the fear sometimes. So what's your relationship now with failure? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think about this a lot because I'm I really am one of those people that doesn't like doing things wrong. Perfectionist. Do you know, I actually don't identify as a perfectionist because I am done is better than perfect. So I do have that mentality. I just do, I think I have high standards, but I'm, I really don't think I'm a perfectionist because I see things with mistakes that you have to keep it moving. Um, so I don't think I'm a perfectionist, but I do think I have high standards. And I also really like to work hard, which I think means I then put so much effort in that then when things don't work out, I find it hard for it not to be taken personally because I've put so much of myself into well most things that I do when I first started my brand I found this really hard because also at school and things I found like input in equaled result like I put loads of work in and I did well not necessarily because I was clever but just because I am really good at working hard 
I think it's probably my main skill. And yeah, when you started my brand, when I started my brand, I would just work so hard. And then say I do a drop and nothing would sell. And I would be like personally so sad and see it as like my see myself as a failure. And then just as the brand's gone on, I've really detached from it. And like it's a business. Like if people don't buy something, it's not anything to do with me. It's all about them. Like maybe it's not their colour, maybe it's not their size, maybe they don't want to buy it. And that's all about them and it's nothing to do with me. So I think now in terms like I've really got a more business mindset on failure compared to taking it personally. And I'm really pleased that I've got that. I mean, I would still take some things personally, but generally I think well, I had a really good quote about failure recently. I'm going to completely say it wrong. But it's something like failure is like learning how not to do it. So then it's always, a le- I don't know, something like that. But it's all, yeah, just seeing failure as a learning. And I like feedback. So now I try and see failure as more feedback. I guess it depends what the failure is. I think I'm lucky to not have had any like really bad failures because then maybe that wouldn't feel like feedback. But yeah, I think just really seeing what can I take from it? What can I learn from it? And also how can it be better next time? which then is, is feedback. So yeah, now I have a good relationship with it. But at the start, it was awful. Yeah, well, it's it's good to know because I feel like we all need to find some kind of system to overcome whatever we're feeling about it because I think it can also be very personal, you know, like when you're building a brand or a business, that's your project, that's your baby. And so it you are, as a person, very connected to the business and what you're trying to do so obviously like whatever you do can be closely linked to yourself as a person and then it's you know it's it's easy to get in that trap but I think it's it's so important as you said to kind of find a pattern or like a cycle of that closes the gap and kind of help you overcome whatever feeling you're you're feeling about it because yeah that's how we move on and that's how we build resilience as well as entrepreneurs yeah exactly if you want to keep it moving you have to detach from it otherwise you just can't get like too in the loop of like taking things like failure too much to heart yeah that makes sense so I have two signature questions that I ask to all my guests so after everything that we talked about today what would you say is your superpower I'm gonna have to say it's working hard this has kind of been like I feel like a slight like a story of my life like just really working hard even like when I was at school like I wasn't very, like I'm quite dyslexic. So I'm not naturally academic or clever in like the normal sense that say that my siblings are. We always like took a long time to do things, but I just worked so, so hard and then got really good results. And then it's the same as when I used to work um, intern for free all day, but then work in the pub all night. And I literally lived off like four or five hours sleep for and not for at least one year while I interned and then for at least another year when I first started my brand before the pandemic so it's just that's just like a stupid amount of work but I didn't mind and then it's just now the same like I just I'm really good at working hard <laughs> I don't know if there's a good superpower though I think it's probably problematic no, however is your um like is working for you that's good I mean it's true that sometimes I mean I I do it myself I'm I'm trying also to kind of demystify the thing around the hustling mentality I guess that we see everywhere and that you know can be detrimental to your life in so many ways but then that's the case for people who kind of do it without realizing all the sacrifices or like all the things like all the negative consequences that that has in their life but you know if you're happy with it and that works for you and you know well then that's that's great 
<laughs> yeah I think also now I work really hard but I feel like really grateful because mm -hmm. I'm working really hard for something that I've worked for for a long time but now it's going really well so now I don't mind working hard and I, I think like well I used to work this hard for free and I used to work this hard like just like just to pay my rent whereas now I'm working this hard purely for myself only to benefit myself in terms of like my personal career so now I have like I don't mind working really long days because I feel like I feel like yeah really pleased because all my past self working hard has got me here and now I feel like now I get to work hard really in a way that actually is like properly like benefiting me as opposed to it just being more for other people I don't know if I yeah that whole like hustling thing I feel like I don't that's why I often don't talk about like how long days I work I try not to talk about it too much on social media because I don't want to like really be promoting mm. this hustle hustle life but I think it's kind of just like my personality is like mm -hmm. that as opposed to it being like something I would recommend other people to do. Yeah, exactly. Like if that's something that works for you, then then that's great. But that might not be necessarily the case for everyone. And so it's good to have a lot of different working styles. And, you know, from all the people I've talked to, it seems like everyone is, I mean, everyone is so different. I'm also hardworking, but I do prioritize like a lot. I mean, don't know about you. I didn't actually ask you, but... I do prioritize my health and social life as well. I mean, I try these days getting more and more difficult, but I'm trying at least to kind of, you know, go to as many like networking events and also spend time with friends and family because that's important for my own productivity at work. But sometimes, you know, there are just people who are kind of more resilient or can work like well on the long haul, I guess. Yeah, no, no, I do make time to see my friends and family. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, and I do go, I go to events. I just fit in as much as I can, but I probably do work at least six often seven days a week but it just it depends what's going on I'll when I'm busy I lean in when I've got loads of social things I'll see my friends so it's just like balancing what's going on balances everything that's great okay so last question which change maker would you like to hear from next in this podcast oh that's an interesting that's a good question I really really love this community called are you mad And they remake plastic in Soho and they've got a center, kind of a shop in Soho where they remake all the plastic and turn it into really cool things. And I'm like low-key obsessed with the <laughs> stuff that they do. I think they're great. They provide jobs for for people and like pay everyone like the living wage. And it's all about, yeah, remaking plastic into exciting things. They do loads and loads of really cool projects. And it's all the Are You Mad stands for Are You Making a Difference, which I also really like. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think I think probably James and the team there would be interesting to hear from. Amazing. I love that. Uh, it's so, so different as well from the type of guests I tend to be recommended with. So it's so good. I'll note that down and definitely contact them. Thank you. Well, Lydia, we're getting at the end of the this episode, unfortunately. But yeah, I had a great time and it was like really great to chat with you and kind of learn more about you and yeah very grateful for your time as well because well I know you're very busy so thank you so much for that thank you so much for having me I've really enjoyed chatting thank you thank you Lydia bye bye follow the Wonder Workers podcast so that every two weeks you can get notified when a new episode is out and I must say if you don't that's okay but That would be a big miss because we have more inspiring and powerful guests to come. So let's meet up in two weeks for a new episode of Wonder Walkers. 
a podcast that transports you into the world of our modern change catalysts and empowers you too to change the world. This podcast is created and hosted by me, Laura Warnod, founder of The Culture Cabinet. Thank you to Content is Queen for producing the podcast. But above all, thank you for listening. See you soon.